How are you doing? Wow. The microphone works. <laughs> is it too loud for you? Is it good now? Test one, two. Okay, awesome. Hey, good morning. Hey, so glad you are here. Let's try this again. How are we doing this morning? Good. Okay, sorry in advance for your ears ringing the rest of the service, um, but hopefully your hearing's still intact after that. Well, hey, we're so glad you are here. I just keep thinking about what we sang most recently. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. Let's keep that going this morning. So, hey, here I want to tell you something. I am loving this weather. I think I've said that 27 times every time I'm up on the stage. This weather is amazing, right? It's incredible. And uh, I, I just love those moments where you get to look out and you go, God, you're such a great creator, these great moments where you take in the fact that, God, you are so good, so, so good. Well, one day there was this guy, his name was Carl, and Carl was walking down the street, and he had one of those moments. God, you're so good. He felt the wind blowing through and just the breeze and saw it blowing the trees around him, and he said, God, you're so good. And he looked off into the distance, and he saw the thunderclouds, and he could see the lightning, he could hear the thunder, and he thought, God, you're so good. And the rainstorm came on him, the rain fell, he felt the coolness, the refreshing water of the rain, God, you're so good. He saw a rainbow that came as a storm passed, and he went into his home, and he looked out the window, and he saw this beautiful lake, and just shimmering like a mirror, and he thought, God, you're so good. And what Carl Boberg did from there was he sat down, and he wrote, oh, store good, in English, it's translated, great God. We know it as how great thou art. God, you are so good. What is your, oh, great God moment? When have you looked out and said, God, you are so good? I got to go a week and a half ago up to Secret Slick Rock up in Sedona, and it is beautiful, it is gorgeous, and getting to walk down that trail and getting to just go out to this incredibly huge, flat, vast red rock and look out and think, God, how great you are. What's your oh, how great you are moment? You see, when we look at God's creation, the reality of creation, we can't help but see the fact that we have a great creator, a creator who's been faithful to us, a creator who's intimately involved in the details of our lives, who cares about us, who fashioned the universe together, and who fashioned you and I. And so this morning, we get to talk about this truth that we have a creator, and when we live in that reality, it affects how we view life. And when we ignore that reality, it limits us. It constricts us. It keeps us focused on self. But when we live in the reality of a creator, it expands us. We continue to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we worship and glorify our great creator. The significance of living in the reality of a creator is immense. A creator is crucial 
in our understanding of reality. Which leads us to our main theme of this morning, and it's this. We have a creator. We have a creator. And the reality of that impacts everything. And so here what we're going to do in a moment is this. We're actually going to watch a video. We're going to watch it's a seven-minute video, and we're going to ask ourselves this question, this important question, what does the reality of creation mean for us? What does it mean for, for you and me? And as we watch this, we're going to dig into Genesis 1 and the reality of a creator And we're going to continue to ask, what does the reality of creation mean for me? And when we come back, we're going to zoom into day six and seven. Because in day six, the the crescendo of creation took place, the creation of mankind. And eventually, that would come to be the creation of you. What does the reality of creation mean for you and me and how we live day to day and how we live out the words how great you are. Watch the screen with me. The first book in the Bible is called Genesis. And we're gonna look closely at the first page of the book of Genesis. It's a carefully crafted narrative about God creating and ordering the whole cosmos. Okay, let's check it out. Now the opening line of the whole Bible is, In the beginning, God created the skies and the land. Now, your Bible translation might say the heavens and the earth. In biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven refers simply to the sky above. And the word for earth does not mean globe, but rather the land. The ground below us. Right. This line is summarizing what's going to happen in the following narrative, which starts in the next line. And it reads, now the land was wild and waste. This phrase rhymes in Hebrew. The land was tohu vavohu, which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state, what we might call nothingness. For the biblical authors, non-existence means having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to say the same thing. And darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. What's the deep abyss? Yeah, it's a dark, chaotic ocean. It's another common way the ancients described the non-reality that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting, because in the midst of those dark waters, God is present. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for God's Spirit is ruach, which can refer to wind or breath or God's invisible presence. So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. Yes, and this ordering happens in a series of six days. Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening and morning. Yeah, every day addresses those problems introduced in verse two, that there's no order and no inhabitants. So on days one through three, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. Then, on days four through six, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Interesting. Let's see how that works. Okay. So, the first realm of order begins with light on day one. Ah, yes. Let there be light. This is God's own glorious light that fills and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. God's establishing the order of time. 
Okay, and then on day two, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What's the vault? In the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the sky was perceived as a solid dome that holds back waters. God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half, above and below, which creates the realms of the sky and the seas. And then on day three, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. God is establishing the realm of the land and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the land. Okay, so we've got the realms of time, the realm of the sky and the seas, and the land. And they all have order. Right. Now, it's time to go back and fill these realms of days one through three with inhabitants. This is what happens on days four through six. So in day four, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. God installs these lights, the sun, moon, and stars, as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. He gives them his own royal power to separate day and night. Then on day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the land. Yeah, these are the creatures that live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above. Then finally on day six, let the land produce living creatures. They emerge up out of the ground to live on the land. And then matching that bonus act of creation on day three, God makes a special land creature, human, or in Hebrew, Adam. Then God provides all of those plants from day three as abundant food. Now over and over, God says what he created was good. But then after making humans, God says that it is very good. Yes, humanity is the climax of days one through six, and their importance is explained in the first poem in the Bible. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans come up from the ground like the other land creatures, but they're also more. They're God's image, which means that together, men and women embody and represent the creator within his creation. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, ruling over the creatures. This is the purpose of being God's image, to oversee creation as God's partners and representatives in the world. Very cool. Now, after the six days, we get a concluding line that links back to the key words of the opening line. And so we're completed, the skies and the land and all their inhabitants. Except there's one more day. It stands outside the pattern of days one through six. It's the big climax. And God completed on the seventh day the work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy. So God rests on the seventh day. This is a standard biblical image where God, after ordering the cosmos, comes to rest and dwell in his sacred space. It's like the whole world is a holy temple where God lives with his people. Now that phrase, there was evening and morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. That's right. The seventh day has no end. That's because Genesis 1 is describing God's ideal vision for the whole cosmos. A place where God lives with his partners to rule the world in harmony forever. Yes, the seventh day is the goal of creation. It's actually so important that the author of Genesis 1 has woven the number seven into every part of the story. There are seven days of creation, seven announcements that creation is good. 
There are seven Hebrew words in the opening verse and then two times seven Hebrew words in verse two. And then the statement about the seventh day has three lines of seven words. Wow. So the first page in the Bible is doing way more than just telling us how the world was made. Right. Genesis 1 has been designed to show us that God's purpose is to share creation with his images so they can rest and rule it with him forever. And that purpose is what the rest of the biblical drama is all about. Awesome. What does the reality of creation mean for you and for me? So we see here in Genesis 1, God spoke life into being. God said, God said, God said. And it was so, let there be, let there be, let there be. We see in days one through three that he creates these realms. Days four through six, he fills them. We see all along that God is calling the shots. And we see in day six, God says not just that it's good, but that it was very good. Very good. Good job. It was very good. We are the crescendo of God's creation made in his image to worship him and to rule and to reign with him forever. And so we've looked at this overview of Genesis 1, the reality of creation. This reality was very good. And so now I want us together to zoom in to day 6 and 7 and look at this when it comes to humanity and what God has for us. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through chapter 2, verse 2 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, you can pull it out. Or you can look on the screen. Excuse me. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So we see this imageness. God doesn't say this about anything else in creation. Let us make man in our image. And we get a little glimpse of the Trinity in the midst of this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When you and I want to repeat something, we want to emphasize something, we repeat it, right? You say it once, twice, three times, image, image, image. I think God wants you and I to know we're made in his image. And male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God tells humanity, tells Adam and Eve, rule and reign and he blesses them. Go and have dominion on the earth. You see, there's this this dignity with the creation of mankind. 
Again, nothing else in the six days of creation had what humanity has given by God. He blesses them. Be fruitful. Increase. Fill the earth. Subdue it. You see all these action words with this, all these verbs. We got these incredible things that we get to carry out. But let's, let's keep going and see what God says. Verse 29 Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has a breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Can you imagine how good that food tasted, by the way? I told you I really liked, you know, Verdi Lee um, and their burritos. I can't imagine what the food tasted like there in the Garden of Eden. Oh, my goodness. And God gave everything for man, for his enjoyment, for his sustenance. Are you picking this up? There's this intimate relationship that God has with humanity, with Adam and Eve, so intricately involved And sometimes a lie that we'll hear in our world today is that if there is a God, he wound up the clock, he set it down, and he walked away. And yet God delights in his creation. He delights in us. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. All right, now this is chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God's like all powerful, right? He doesn't need to rest. He doesn't grow tired or weary, but he rested. We want to we unpack that. Let's, let's keep talking about this. But he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The seventh day he rested. He stepped back and he took it all in. He admired his masterpiece. He admired the beauty of what he made. And most of all, he admired the crescendo of his creation, mankind made in his image. He rested, giving an example of what a rhythm of life looks like for God's people. So we've just drank in Genesis 1. We've just deep dived a little more into verses 26 through chapter 2, verse 3. And so now we continue to ask ourselves, what does the reality of creation mean for us? This is something that was done a while back. Why does it matter to me today in 2022? What does the reality of creation mean for us? Well, three things we get from this. What does the reality of creation mean for us? Number one, we reflect our creator. We reflect our creator. We get to shine forth God to the world as image bearers of him. We reflect our creator. Anybody see the moon last night? 
It was beautiful. I think it was like this close to a full moon. It was, just, it was just gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was shining. I walked out of Walmart last night and looked up in the sky and went, oh my goodness, that's incredible. And the thing about the moon that, you, and I, you, that I know that you probably know is, is this. None of that light coming off the moon is from itself. The moon, all of its light reflects from the sun. And I had a pastor who used to say this, just as the moon reflects the S-U-N, you and I get to reflect the S-O-N as image bearers of God. There's nothing necessarily about us by ourselves, but when we face God, when we see him, when we look upon him, gosh, we just can't help but shine forth his light as image bearers. You and I were made to reflect our creator. What does that mean for you right now? What does that mean for me? But what's, what's a story that you tell yourself in your head and in your heart? What's a narrative that you listen to? Is it the narrative of being an image bearer that you have inherent value and dignity and worth and you reflect the creator? Or is it something else? You're not good enough. You've done too much. You've gone too far from God. You've sinned too much. God doesn't love you. You see, these are the broken records that some of us can rehearse again and again in our mind for days and weeks and months and years. And yet God, through what we see in Genesis 1, he takes that broken record and smashes it and says, look, you are made in my image. You have value, dignity, worth. I was intricately designed, designed you in creation. You matter to me. What's the narrative that you listen to? And if being made in God's image means all that for me, for you, what does it mean about others? What does it mean about that guy that cut you off on the way to church this morning? What does it mean for that person you get so mad at in social media and they just, they can't get the point. They're just making you so mad. What about that family member? What about that neighbor? What about that person with a completely different background than you? What does this truth mean for them? You and I, let's see ourselves made in God's image, but maybe we also see those around us in God's image. Inherent dignity, value, they matter, and God cares deeply about them. We reflect our creator. What else does the reality of creation mean for us? We have a mission. You and I have a mission. We have been put on the front lines and given an amazing opportunity to live for God. You and I have a mission. So chances are many of you have one of these, a smartphone, 
right? You know, whether it's an iPhone or an Android, or maybe you have a flip phone, that sounds great. Um, But many of you have a smartphone. And this smartphone was intricately designed to do so much. It is ridiculous what you can do with this box. Thousands upon thousands of things, not to mention calling and texting and all that stuff that goes with it. Now imagine if you took this intricately designed tool and all you did with it was use your flashlight. How absurd would that be? You and I have been given this mission where we are intricately designed and woven and pieced together and given a mission to live out. And the implications of that, there are thousands of ways that you and I can do that. Let's not limit ourselves to just doing a little bit. And so what does that mean for us? Well, God, when he created you and I, he gave us a mission saying, hey, now that you're made in my image, you get to rule, you get to reign, you get to make much of me. And we see it in verse 28 where he talks about this. He blesses them. He tells them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. There are thousands of ways to live out this intricate design that he's given us. And it's different for each one of us. And maybe you're sitting here and you're listening and you're going, hey, I, I'm, I'm not married or I don't have kids. I can't be fruitful and multiply. Well, here's the deal. This looks different, again, for each one of us. Being fruitful, multiplying, extending God's rule and reign means making much of him. It's not just having kids, which is great. That's part of it. But there's so many ways. So what does it look like for you? We have a mission. Well, what else does it mean to live out the reality of creation? Well, number three, we have rest. We have wholeness in our lives. We have shalom. And we see this in the first couple of verses of chapter two, verses one through three. God makes the seventh day, he blesses it. He makes it holy. He gives us this example of rest. God says in Matthew 11, chapter 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weak and who are weary, and I will give you rest. There's this old Greek story made up about this guy named Sisyphus. And Sisyphus was this guy who got in big trouble. He was a king. He got in trouble. And his punishment was to push a boulder up a hill every day for the rest of his life. And when he pushed up that boulder, it would just come back down. And he pushed it up, and it would come back down. Can you imagine how exhausting that must have been? How many of us in this room are going through that right now? How many of us are going through that experience where it just feels like you're pushing the boulder up, and it's coming back down? No matter what you do, maybe it's that relationship that you're just struggling with and it's going so hard and so rough. It's pushing up the boulder, going back down. Maybe it's that diagnosis you just got in the doctor's office. I feel like you're pushing up the boulder and it's going back down. I don't know what you're going through, but I know I got my share of those boulders. And Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, 
I will give you rest. What we see in creation is a God who cares about getting you rest. That's not the absence of work or hardship or or tough things, but what it means is he's going to be with you throughout all of it. And he doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste what you're going through. He wants to use it for your good, for his glory. God gives us rest. And he makes it clear right from the first couple pages of Scripture, ultimately pointing to our ultimate rest that we have in him for eternity. So what does the reality of creation mean for us? Well, we reflect our creator. We have a mission and we have rest. The Bible Project put it this way in the video. Genesis 1 has been designed to show us that God's purpose is to share creation with his images so that they can rest and rule it with him forever. So what do you do with this? Well, this week, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Find your how great thou art moment this week. Go out into creation if you can. Take a walk around your neighborhood, whatever it is that you have the bandwidth for, but take a moment say how great thou art. Because when we look at creation, we can't help but let it point us to the cross. In fact, Carl Boberg would put it this way in the second verse of his hymn. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, Sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and he died to take away my sin. When we look at creation, we can't help but be reminded of the cross where the creator took on flesh and dwelt among his creation and hung on a cross made out of a tree that he created. And he hung on that cross looking out over the crescendo of his creation, humanity. And he said, it is finished. You can't help but look at creation without seeing the cross. And so, Verde Valley Christian Church, this week may you bask in the reality of God's creation, the reality that you and I have a creator. May you bask in the fact that we reflect our creator. We have a mission. We have rest. And through it all, may you say how great thou art. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the great creator that you are. The reality of this, that you love us, that you intricately designed us, and that you gave us this purpose, this mission to live out, and that you give us rest through it all. Lord, be with each one of my friends here online. Would you help us to continue to just glorify you and say, with all my life, you have been faithful. You've been so good. We thank you for your goodness, God. So we love you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, there's a prayer team on your left that's here for you. I'm here for you. If you don't know this Jesus, we want you to know him. And church family, as you walk out those doors and see that incredible view, may you say, God, how great you are. Have a great rest of your day.